press play on the inside inside sales show powered by the sales iq network my name is daryl prale i'm your host and you my friend well you and i we're going on a journey every single week talking to the industry's most accomplished sales legends as they share with us their tips their tricks their techniques and their tactics to become sales rock stars you simply need to do what they're doing and you will achieve similar nirvana if you like to laugh you like to be entertained if you like to go off on tangents and tell stories you're gonna love what you're gonna hear next sit back relax it's gonna get real It's another day, folks. How goes your time selling? I gotta ask you that. Are you frustrated? Are you feeling good? Are you optimistic? Are you cautious? Are you frustrated? I think we, we sales reps, honestly, I think we spend the vast majority of our time being frustrated, being annoyed, being exasperated, being discouraged. And it makes you wonder, in all sincerity, why we chose to do this. I mean, I know why we chose to do it because I can't think of another job that pays as well that requires, shall we say, less formal education. We haven't had to do, you know, seven years of medical school to qualify for this job. And if we're good at our job, we can earn a very nice little take home just, just for that, you know, we can be earning some big bucks right out of the gate. But the reality is there's something to be said. There's something to be said for that seven years of education that a doctor might have or that, you know, four or five or six years that a, perhaps a, a lawyer might have. And you get the idea. It could be an engineer. It could be whatever. It's, it's, the, it's the highly educated careers that command very, very respectable salaries with a high upside earning and then become a foundation for them to aspire to other roles in the future, where they be, maybe it's to be a CEO one day, maybe it's to be active in politics one day, maybe it's to be an entrepreneur one day, who knows? So what is that? That in that time frame, they have a chance to truly study the greats, to learn what's right and to learn what's wrong. That is, that is the upside. But of course, they incur massive debt doing that and uncertainty and they're eating a lot of ramen or a lot of craft dinner in those years in between, right? It's kind of like a lot of famine and eventually one day there'll be some feast. Now sales is kind of the opposite, but kind of not. How's that for waffling? I know I'm, I'm so strong with my voice and my opinion today. Whereas it's the opposite that if you're good at your job, you can make money out the gate and, and live a very wonderful life. But the reality is why it's kind of not is because most of us struggle. Remember how you want to be beginning? Do you feel frustrated or exasperated or you're banging your head against the wall? Or you're feeling rejection or you're having a hard time getting motivated. And, and admittedly, I think we all agree that if we're rocking it and we're killing it and we're closing deal after deal and we're like far exceeding our quota and a president's club is imminent, if not already secure, we're not feeling those feelings, right? It comes down to the fact that we haven't had that four, five, six, seven, eight years of academic education and training and development. We haven't had a residency where we can make that mistake. Our residency is real life. Our residency is real life. So the one thing that those people have in common with us is that there's a lot of learning to do 
this, and that I would, I would contend we are eating as much ramen as they are, but just in a different world until we become the masters of our trade. It's interesting. The power of repetition, the power of refinement. I'll give an example. So as you know, my son is in, he's a broadcast journalist. Now, what was interesting was he went to a school that took a very different approach to broadcast journalism than most other schools. So context, most other schools, at least here in Ontario, Canada, where I'm residing, they'll have you go and you might do, you know, maybe three or four productions a semester of a newscast. That's it. Three or four productions. And that means three or four chances in that semester to write the news or to be on camera or to be a producer or to be an editor, you know, all the elements of producing a news show. And as you might imagine, there's more students than there are chances. So a lot of people never even get in front of the camera. And they go to a two or three year program and then boom, they apply for the jobs. My son, his program, they did a newscast every single night. Every night. I remember him calling me in a year and a half into the program. And he's like, dad, I'm bored. I'm like, you're bored. He goes, why, why, why are you bored? He goes, I've done it all. And I've done it a thousand times. I said, trust me, son, going to get through this. You're going to be great. So he finishes the course and then he goes out and gets a job and life is grand. And he's done very well in his career. And the one thing he says to me over and over and over again is, you know, we hire new grads. They're useless with much love and affection because They've never had to do it. And he goes, but we hire grads from my old school. We come in and we kick ass right away. And the employers are like blown away. Repetition, familiarity, being forced to learn, being forced to make the mistakes. That's what it comes down to. And brothers and sisters, I had to go through the exact same training. So I thought to myself, how can we distill down the essentials of B2B sales success? And at that moment in time, I got this wonderful email coming across from my good friend, Greg Nutter. Now, if you don't know Greg, Greg is the author of P3 Selling. And his book is called The Essentials of B2B Sales Success. And it's exactly the same situation that I've described to you, where he tries to distill it down in a way that's very easy to apply so you can quickly overcome the stumbles and the mistakes and the challenges and that you're going to have or you are having now in a manner that's consumable and applicable. So I thought, let's get him on the show and we could talk about the most important elements of B2B selling success. And then maybe while we're at it, you go to Amazon, you pull it up, P3 selling, and then you can check it out, follow along. Greg, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Daryl. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, that's fantastic stuff. So when I was giving that kind of opening monologue, were you saying, Prail, this is really painful, get to the point, <laughs> or was anything in there resonating with you? There was a lot that resonated with me, where a lot of salespeople today are, you know, start their jobs, they're given a phone book or a list of people to call, go out there and yep. call me when you got an order. And that was... Well, my primary motivation is behind the book. You know, if you work for a big organization, they give you some very good sales training, you know, they walk you through it, but there's a lot of us that just go out there. In fact, that's where I started. My first job was telephone sales, 100% commission. Mm -hmm. Here's your phone, <laughs> go, right? And you either survive or you don't. And I was fortunate to survive, but many of us who have the talent, have the skills, could be successful, 
aren't because the environment they get thrust into is just too complex for them to to figure out how to make it do. And then they change careers, which is a loss for everybody. It is a loss. All right, so let's just start. Let's get into it. It's P3 selling. So on the spirit of three, let's go with what are the three most important elements of B2B selling success? Because I'm thinking we've got to start somewhere. I like okay. threes. I like threes and fives. I said this over and over again <laughs> to the audience. Let's go with three. P3 selling, we'll go with three. The three most important elements. Okay. So I'm going to step back just a little bit before I give you the three Ps and ask the question, what do B2B sellers do? do? Sellers do in general. I think every sales executive, by the way, wonders that same question. Just saying that, but carry on. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and they do three things. They understand customers' perspectives, customers' problems, customers' situation, motivations. The second thing they do is they influence. So what they try and do is get people to see that potentially a problem is greater than they originally thought. It's more important. It's more urgent. So they try to influence perspectives around taking action, around solving problems, around even a, a decision process. And the third thing they do is they message. So once they understand and then they try to influence and they message or talk or communicate or pitch against those things that they learned and, and they influenced. So you stand back and say, okay, so what do I want to understand, influence, and message against? And there are three things that just happen to start with the letter P. First one is problems and problems or opportunities. So we want to uncover problems that a customer wants to solve and certainly ones that we can fix. Ideally, ones that we can address better than the competition. We want to understand the importance of those problems. We want to understand the urgency of those problems. Second P is people. Who has those problems? Who is impacted by those? What's their perception around how we should solve them? And who's got what level of authority or influence in solving them. The third P is process. And it's not a selling process, it's actually a buying process. How do people make buying decisions? And how is the company that you are selling to going to make a buying decision either to select a product or to say, I'm not gonna bother selecting a product. So that's the, the buying decision. So we need to know what's that process look like? Where are they? In that process, how are we positioned? And based on our positioning and, and where they are, what are the best actions we can take to move things forward? So problem, people, process. I almost argue, I, I, you touched on it. I, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but it felt to me that there was a fourth one, which was you said position. Because I think how we would message is based on how we're positioned or how we would influence is also based on our position. Yeah. So where are we in that buying decision process? What's our position? And yeah. you'll often, you may often hear me rail about to CRM systems yep. because if you look at a lot of CRM systems or, you know, buying uh, funnels, you know, your opportunity funnels, they're often put in terms of what, where are we in the selling process? And I like to advocate, it doesn't matter where you're on the selling process, matters where the customer is in the buying process right? Because that tells you what you should do. Just because I've given a proposal doesn't mean somebody's ready to buy. So I look at their behaviors. I look at their 
perspectives, what they're doing, what they're saying. And based on that, I know where they are in the decision process and therefore I know what to do. So absolutely positioning as it relates to their buying decision process is a critical thing to understand. Okay. So if I pull this back what, and I ask you what were the three most important elements of B2B selling, I'm gathering, because you step back for a second, talked about, you know, understanding influence and message. I'm going to under, I'm going to assume you're saying the three most important elements are problems people and process. Is that a fair point? Correct. Correct. All because right. you want to understand problems, people impacted and process. You want to influence their perceptions of those problems. You want to influence the people who may have a perspective on how to fix the problem a different way. And you want to influence the buying process such that your positioning is improved. So conceptually, as I listen to that, that seems reasonable. It seems logical. It seems sensical. It seems concise. It seems like you know, there's nothing that I would disagree with you on that. And there's probably even many people who are listening to this right now saying, well, I do that. So if, if those are the three most important elements, and we all agree that it's logical and sensical, and many of us think we're already doing it, what makes B2B selling so difficult to master then? Good question. Good question. I think there's three things. One is our experience going into selling, the B2B selling is normally all about consumer selling, B2C. When we go to buy electronics, when we go to buy furniture, we buy a car, you know, we're in a B2C environment and B2C selling is quite different. I, I like to refer to it as clerking, right? It has a, a two-step. The salesperson gives you some information and then they ask for the order. And then if you say no, they give you more information and then ask for either the order or the next step. So it's that two-step. And that two-step does not work very well in a B2B environment because B2B selling is more about creating awareness, giving information doesn't do that very well. B2B selling is what we call a complex sale. You, you could call it solution selling or consultative selling, and it has two dimensions to it. One is it's complex because, as we talked before, is that there's a lot of different people involved in the decision. It's just not one person or one person and their spouse. There's multiple steps. There's a lot of criteria to go through. And the connection between a feature and the benefit that a company gets from it is not always as obvious. And so, again, we think that if we just give information, people will go, oh, yeah, you've got the best product. And, and again, that doesn't work. The third part, and, and I think you touched on it, Daryl, a little earlier, is that there's a lot of training out there. I like to say there's, you know, go to Amazon. There's a million books. There's thousands of trainers. There's hundreds of methodologies. But in my experience, I work with people who are late 20s, 30s, 40s, and I watch them and I said, they've been through this training and they were still making the same mistakes. And that mistake is they were focusing on their product and not on problems that they're trying to fix, right? And so either no one's reading this vast material of sales training or it simply doesn't work, right? Okay, so I want to stop there. 
So everyone listening to this, serious question, because I know you're all saying right now, oh, I focus on the problem. And I believe you that I believe that you think you are. How is that for a loaded statement? And it's remarkable every time uh, as a buyer, I ask a sales rep and understand I've bought a lot of stuff over my many years in my leadership positions. How does this feature help me out? Rare. Great. Less than 10% is the time someone can bring it back to my problems, my pains, and my issues. And I think the biggest reason is because they don't follow, like I can say this as a sales leader, they don't follow their own defined sales frameworks that would help them uncover what are my initiatives, what are my goals, what are my objectives, what are the what are my key metrics, you know, what is my frustration, you know, what is the biggest itch that needs to be scratched? And they just jump into the product pitch because they're far more comfortable there than they are over in the actual understanding, as Greg said, what is your problem? That was the first P, the very first P. And so when you say there's a lot of training out there and people still make the same mistake, they're focusing on product, not on problem. That just like resonates so huge with me. And I will challenge you folks to listen to your own calls and tell me if you're focusing on the problem or if you're spending 98% of the time talking about product or service. That's my speaking just, you know, yep, absolutely. with much frustration that this continues to happen. And I will agree with you, Greg. This is the thing that I, I talked to with my colleagues, my executive peers, my sales peers, and I say, I don't get it. I've trained them. They've all not it. They've all gone through the program. And yet I listened to the calls and it's like they forgot everything when they left and they went back to their desk. Oop, I got kicked off. <laughs> I got kicked off there. You ask why the longer somebody is with a company, does their business acumen go down? And I think there's two reasons. One is look at the training that most companies give. Product, 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 right? Let me tell you about the new features we launched. Let me tell you about the new version that we got. Let me tell you about the latest thing we're bringing out. It's all product. How many companies actually do training on business problems, on the impact those problems have on organizations? Who are the people most impacted, right? Which problems do we solve better or which opportunities do we create uh, even better than our competition? Right? How do people make buying decisions for our product? What are the typical criteria they use? What do they look for information? Right? So understanding that in detail is, is business acumen. And, and the way you learn it, actually, for the most part, is you ask customers. Right? I love that you said that. I keep on saying this to my audience over and over again. I'd get picked up the phone and talk to existing customers. Like this is so easy to do. The first thing I did when I started my current gig here at Agora Pulse was I went to customer support and I said, give me 10 customers who are a match for our ideal customer profile and our target personas. I want to talk to them. And uh, whether they're happy or not, I want to talk to them. They're a match. And it's amazing what you learn when you do that. It didn't take long to do. It was a good investment. Heck, you could do a couple of weeks and then within a month, you've talked to 10 people. So folks, brilliant advice, such an easy fix there. So understanding it's about 
so many, it's, it's about B2B, not B2C. It's about focusing on problems, not features. Where does the seller begin? Like what's the starting point to rejig how they sell? Do you have a solution for this? Like what? What do you, what do you, what do you tell me? Tell my audience the answer, Greg. There you, there you go. Actually, the first chapter in my book is, one could say is kind of provocative. It's define selling. What is selling? Now, you ask 10 sales reps and you're going to get 10 different answers. My favorite one is I asked one seller and he said to me, he said, it's getting, getting people to buy my stuff, right? <laughs> Which is what the outcome but it doesn't tell you the, what do you do? Selling in a B2B environment for me is about creating awareness. It's about creating light bulb moments that, oh, you know, you're right. That problem is actually bigger than I thought. You know, I didn't realize it actually has a uh, cascading effect throughout my organization. It is more urgent than I was originally thinking. So creating that awareness, uh, awareness around Perspectives of solving the problem and the people part. What people should be involved in that decision. Why their perspectives of how to solve it might not be the best. And the decision process. Hey, I understand that you only want to look, with, look at a product that has five references in our industry. But can I suggest a reason why you might not want to do that? So it's creating awareness around areas where you excel. And if you understand that that's true selling, not talking about your product, right? Then you start realizing that the way you create light bulb moments or awareness is by asking good questions and suggesting, but never telling. Telling does not create awareness, or at least not very much. It gives information, but it doesn't create awareness. My favorite example is, you know, you're at a, a social event, maybe a company social, whatever, and somebody comes up to you and says, hi, my name is Greg Gunner. I would bet most people within 30 seconds will forget their name because they just gave information, right? And they had a lot on their mind. What am I going to say back? Who is this person, et cetera? But if you did something a little different, if you said, hi, my name is Greg Nutter, I'll bet you can't guess where my last name comes from. And then people go, oh, hmm. Nutter, I wonder where that comes from. That question alone caused you to think and realize that what I told you was important. And so asking questions is what changes people from just kind of multitasking around what's in their head and what you're saying to single tasking, which is focusing on what you ask them. It causes people to think. And that's how you create awareness. So. What I love about this is you're right. If you just tell me, I will forget your name unless my wife is there who will remind me <laughs> just so we're clear. That's how it works. Can I tell you how many times she has saved me, <sighs> especially at social functions? You're lying. Slight bulb moments are created by asking good questions and not telling. That, I want to I park that line because that was profound. The other part was, when you close the deal, that's the outcome of a sales process. Selling is about creating awareness and light bulb moments. That's selling. If you do it well, then there's an outcome. Right. So let's piece it together. Selling is about creating awareness and light bulb moments. And light bulb moments are created by asking good questions. Boom. Dead on. 
Okay, yep. so that's Greg's solution to this. Now, let me ask this next question. I think there are so many sales frameworks out there, whether it's, you mentioned some of them already, whether it's, you know, complex selling, solution selling, Miller, Medic, MedPick, Spiced, Spin, the list goes on. Sandler. Sandler, yep. exactly. How, they're all designed to walk us through these concepts, but we seem to have some difficulties following the framework. So based on that, I guess I asked the question, is there hope for every sales rep right now who nodded their head when I started the call by saying, are you feeling exasperated, frustrated, like you're not making traction, you're not hitting your numbers? How difficult, Greg, are these concepts to truly learn and excel at? Because right now there's a lot of people who intellectually know a lot of what you've said, mm -hmm. but are still stuck. Good question. I've seen a lot of these methodologies and, and I'll be honest, they're good. Right. I started my career learning strategic selling. I was a great embracer of spin selling, but they are, they can be difficult to master. And so, you know, I'm going to go back to something you said earlier, Daryl, around, you know, people who've gone through seven years of school and all this education and, you know, they come out very ready to go like, like your son. In a lot of those careers, even though somebody comes out really high level training, they still use what I would call checklists. Take a look at a pilot. Before that pilot yeah. takes off, they go through a checklist. Are these, are these untrained people? No. Are they not smart? No. These are very smart people. But they go through a checklist before they take off and before they land. Surgeons. Are these stupid people? No. They probably spent 10, 15 years in school. But before they conduct a surgery... They go through a checklist before they close up they go through a checklist right and it's been shown that those checklists save lives similarly in selling in my book i talk about four key checklists basically processes that you need to follow to be successful and if you follow those it helps bring those concepts together instead of saying, well, I can't remember what was in chapter three and really how to do the ASR uh, technique. But if you go through a call planning checklist and think about what am I going to ask? What am I going to say? What's my call objective? What I'm going to close on, et cetera. It helps you bring those concepts together and plan before you execute. I have another checklist around prospecting which we all know every sales rep hates to do, but few make their plan without doing it well. And I have two others, one around call man, uh, sorry, deal management. How do I ensure that I do all the right things to improve the success of each deal and around pipeline management. And so there's a quick checklist to look at where I am and based on where I am, what do I need to do? What are the most high payoff actions and they pull from the concepts in the book. I love that idea about checklists because that is absolutely huge. And your pilot example is a really good analogy. You know, how many times have we all traveled and seen the pilot out there, you know, just doing the walk around on their flight, on their, on their, on their, on their vehicle, their airplane. Mm -hmm. I mean, a surgeon, I'll go back to that example, right? They have a checklist of things they need to, to do in a surgery, to, especially to wrap up 
make sure they don't leave any sponges inside the patient as an example, right? So it is a process, yeah. but I guess I still struggle with this. How are people going to excel at these concepts even with a checklist? Because isn't that what many of these frameworks are? For sure. Well, selling B2B to me is just as complex sometimes as flying a plane or doing surgery. It's a complex job. And people who are serious about it realize that on day one, they're not going to be stars, right? But if they follow a consistent process, and a lot of that is sitting down and planning, what am I going to do before this call? How do I evaluate the success of that call? Was it good, bad? There's a great quote in my book. I can't remember who said it, but the quote is, people don't learn from experience. Shock. People learn from reflecting on their experience. It's by sitting down afterwards and saying, what did I try to do? What happened? How would I do that differently? And so through each iteration of a sales call, much like your son, you know, when he was practicing over and over and over, he got better and better and better and things became much more natural. Yeah. natural. Yep. But he probably still uses a checklist, right? He just operates at a higher level than people who haven't had that level of practice. So planning is really critical and reflecting on how well things uh, went are two of the probably most critical behaviors you can have to get great at B2B selling. So I love the planning point. And this is something we talked about before, folks. You know, one of the easiest questions I always ask my my team before they call somebody, especially if there was a response to an email and they've scheduled this call. So we know it's, so it's not like they're doing this for every call necessarily, but I'm like, have you mm -hmm. planned the call? What are the, what's the flow? What's the timeline? What are the objectives you want to get out of it? You know, how are you going to move it forward? Have you cross-referenced it to anything else you've observed or picked up, which was of course, going back to the three P's, one of them being problems, right? Do you understand the people? Do you understand the problems? And then, of course, in the call, I mean, this call might be to figure out the process. Who knows, right? But you're, you're call planning. And I find too mm -hmm. many of you don't. You wing it. You, you just, you feel like confident you can do this. And then you, what happens is you, you get distracted. You go off on a tangent, often like some of my podcasts do. And you're like, Prayo, wrap it up. Let's go. <laughs> All right. And that's because I didn't stick to the plan. <sighs> so if I were to maybe answer the question, are these difficult concepts? No. I think Greg's done an amazing job saying there's really three things you need to understand, guys. It's the problem. It's the people. It's the process. I mean, it's just simple as that. Selling's about creating awareness and light bulb moments. Light bulb moments are created by asking good questions. Getting the deal is the outcome. That's not selling. A lot of what we're talking about here is a couple, I would, two things come to me, at least two, maybe three. One is it's a mindset that I need to do this. This is how selling works. Mm -hmm. Two is I need to be intentional. I need to follow the process. I need to mm -hmm. follow the steps. The framework will help me follow the steps. The framework is my friend. I'm going to lean on it. I, it's not a, and, and then the third element I would ask you to consider is pride. All right. I will abandon my ego because and humble myself to follow this process and this framework and believe in it 
Not that, I, not that it knows more than I do, because in the end of the day, I'm the one asking the questions and I'm the one who they have a relationship with. But if the, if the process works, let's genuinely follow it as opposed to too many of you having pride issues, which is like you're winging it because you know better and you don't need that process. So again, just like that surgeon or that yeah. airline pilot, to back to Greg's point, after all that education and all that experience, they still have a checklist. They still have a checklist. Yeah. All right. And that's huge. What's, what's interesting is if you look at the days of old, and maybe uh, Daryl, you and I were part of those days, but, you know, the typical salesperson was someone who could tell a joke, fun at the, over lunch at the bar. They always had... They were great conversationalists. They, you know, asked about your spouse and your kids and, you know, and they were, and we used to hire salespeople who had that kind of profile, right? Who could build relationships really quickly. The problem is in a B2B selling environment is few deals happen in a single call. They happen over multiple calls. And so just being a nice guy might get you to the second meeting, but it won't get you to the third or fourth or fifth. People need to get, see value in spending time with you. They can get product information over the internet and they probably have their own buddies that they'd rather go to the pub with. So each call that you're on needs to be about adding value and keeping them out of trouble. I always like to say, you know, Daryl, I love you. You're fun in the pub, but... I'd rather buy from somebody who's going to make sure that I keep my job. So selling, which used to be highly relationship oriented, now is becoming much more of a science. Less art, more process. And people who figure that out, all the process and get better and better and better. And the people who think it's just about being a nice guy and buying lunches all right. have year after year of mediocre results. Each call needs to be about keeping the prospect out of trouble. I would agree with that. If I'm talking to you as a, as a prospect, it's because I've got a problem. And if I don't fix this problem, I'm going to get in trouble. And the result may be me losing my job. I need your help. Please keep me out of trouble. Mm -hmm. All right. But I have to also defend my decision. I'm going to ask you lots of questions. And I've, I'm a really busy guy. So I don't have a lot of time. So honor my time and, you know, really help me understand, again, the problems, the people, and the processes that I'm in the middle of as your buyer. And if you work with me on that, you know, we're going to be really successful. Folks, it's P3 Selling. You can find it on Amazon. I'm sure you can find it elsewhere too. Greg, my friend, you are the founder of Soliquent. You help business owners and senior sales executives solve revenue growth problems through direct, indirect, or multi-channel sales models. So I, I'm so grateful you came here. You Folks, you can learn more about Greg. He is on Twitter, Greg Nutter, just like it sounds. He's on LinkedIn, Greg Dash Nutter. You can go to his company, Soliquent.com. What's the best way, Greg, to get a hold of you and continue this conversation? Well, certainly LinkedIn, as you said, Greg.Nutter, or look for P3 Selling. Hashtag P3 Selling on LinkedIn, or you can go to my website, P3Selling.com. P3Selling.com, I love it. It's a great book. I had a lot of fun as I was engrossed in it. And I, the big thing I loved about it was how Greg really boils it down to the essentials. So if you're like me, 
and you have a short attention span, you're going to love this book. <laughs> I just want to say that. So with that, we're done. Another week in the books, folks. Thank you so much for your time today. I had fun. It was a good conversation. Where do you want to go next? What topics are hot and heavy on your mind? If I could go get a guess, who would that guest be? What do you want me to talk about? Who do you want me to talk about it with? You tell me. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Reach out to me on Twitter. You know the drill. In the meantime, if you like this show, you should share it. You should share it with your boss. You should share it with your sales engagement people. You should share it with your RevOps people and say, we need to do some P3 selling. Share the wealth. Share the show. In the meantime, I shall talk to you all again next week. Take care, folks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.